Welcome into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And David, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing pretty good. Real excited to get into this week of sports. My Niners made a huge trade to hop up into the top five, so very excited to get to that. We'll touch on the MLB season getting started tomorrow, as well as some big moves that went down around the NBA trade deadline. We have all that and more coming up. But first, we're going to get into our last Women's History Month athlete, and this athlete is Natalie Golbus. And she is a golfer, a 38-year-old golfer. She turned pro in 2001, where she had quite the career. She left the University of Arizona after one year and joined her first tour in 2002. Her first tour was the LGPA. She has four professional wins within her career. One of those wins came on the LGPA in 2007, while the other three were in different tours. Her highest ever ranked in the world was 19th, and she has enjoyed a career in the spotlight of the media since her retirement. She's been in numerous magazines as well as TV shows such as the hit series CSI. So this week we took a, took a look at one of the better golfers and be on the lookout for next, week, next month's new athlete that we are going to recognize. But now we're going to get right in to Unsportsmanlike Conduct now and we're going to start with some NFL Roger Goodell made a big announcement this week. Well, actually two big announcements. But the first one is he said he expects full capacity for every NFL stadium come this fall. Do you believe that that's a realistic goal for the NFL right now? Not necessarily. I I don't think it's going to happen for every team in every stadium. But I can definitely see there being fans in most stadiums if not all, and he really doesn't have anything to lose by saying this. It gives fans and teams confidence going into the year, and worst-case scenario, you just allow limited fans instead of no fans. It, it's, I don't think it's going to happen, but there's not all that much drawback if it doesn't. Yeah, um, I still think it's something that's a little up in the air, in limbo. I know a lot of people um, expect everything to get back towards normal come next fall. And if that is a situation, awesome. I think that's what Roger Goodell wants. I mean, he doesn't want to see the cap space down like it has been because, one, that means he's losing money and his corporation is losing money. And, two... It means you're not getting fans in the stadiums. And we kind of saw the effects of that last season. There was certain games where someone would score a touchdown and some of the guys just didn't seem as excited, you know, because they do thrive off of playing around those fans. So I do think that's something that they really want. And will they get it? I don't know. I know personally for me, I try to get to one game a year. And last season, I wasn't able to get to one. So this year, I'm hoping to get to a couple. And if I really hope that can be a realistic possibility. But we just don't know quite yet. So to say if it's realistic or not, I'm not quite sure. I'm not sold 100% yet. But we'll just have to wait and see. I think it's something that NFL fans have to look forward to moving forward. And now, looking at that same full capacity... What are the ramifications that it would have on the cap space to get full stadiums for now 17 games, which we will talk about next, for a whole year? It's, it's going to be, teams are going to have a lot more money 
revenue is going to go up because, you know, everyone wants to get back into whatever game, whatever stadium, and tickets are going to be in high demand, so they can charge higher prices. People are going to want to buy whatever stuff they buy at games, concessions and whatnot, and I think the cap is not only going to get to where it was last year, it's going to go past that by a decent bit, and it should be a good year next year for free agents. Yeah, um, it's been a super tough year on free agents. When you look at these teams, a lot of people returning to their teams on just very cheap deals, uh, very cheap one-year deals. But also, when you look at the free agency pool right now, there's still big names out there. Just a couple that come to mind, James Conner, Ryan Kerrigan, Melvin Ingram, and Jadeveon Clowney. All guys still out on the market that would not be on the market for any other reason. So, it's interesting because will they even get signed going into this season? It's something you're going to have to watch moving forward. What this could do is the cap sits currently at 183.5, I believe is what it's settled at. It was supposed to be about 210, 215. Realistically, if you have a full 17-game schedule now with a postseason, with a Super Bowl, full fans, and like you said, just the absolute want to get back into the stadiums by these fans, I realistically think you could see the cap space go from 183.5 to 220, 225, where it was supposed to be in just a couple years from now. And I don't think it's all that unrealistic within the next two years to see the cap space even reach possibly 250. And that's crazy to think about because that was kind of the pace the NFL was on. They're making more than $10 million uh, a year jumps within that cap space. So I think it has big differences because now instead of teams like the Steelers who have had to absolutely gut their roster, lose a bunch of guys, the Chiefs as well, they've had to gut some players. They brought some good names back in, don't get me wrong, but they've had to gut some players as well in the Saints. They're going to be able to just absolutely retool come next season they're gonna have all the money all this money back again and they're just gonna be able to add to it and just put these teams back together and stack them back up because the cap is going to jump significantly especially if we do have the full capacity and now another big decision by Roger Goodell and the owners did approve this week is a 17 game schedule this includes just one bye week and then your regular postseason they implemented last year. So you still have your 17 playoff with only the one seed getting a bye. So now you have 17 games, just one bye. Do you think this is a good idea? We'll start with for the players. For the players, not really. Because it's more games and less time to recuperate. Yeah, you're getting compensated for it, but there's... a weird kind of discrepancy on the last game for existing contracts and it's restricting the amount of preseason games which is not a terrible idea but we saw this past year with out training camps as they were normally and with fewer preseason games guys got hurt a lot that that was not a coincidence so you have to be a little wary how is this going to affect just everyday players 
as well as those superstars and big names. Because it's going to, an extra game is, is a lot of wear and tear on your body. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I hate this for the players personally, especially without the extra bye week. It's really, I mean, you talked about the money that they're going to be getting in that week 17 game. It's different per player. But when this collective bargaining agreement was signed and this was added, this was one of the things I thought was more of a bargaining chip that the NFL was saying, okay, we want 17 games just for the players to accept less. Because the NFL is one of those weird sports where they the players only make 48.5% of the um, revenue made. I believe that number they moved a little bit with their collective bargaining agreement, but still not too much ahead of that. So when I see that, I thought, okay, they're just trying to bargain a little bit, get a little more money. I get it. But then, no, it got approved, the 17 games. And, yeah, if you're a player that's not a big name, this really doesn't affect you because you're going to now get an extra game check. You're going to make a little bit more money. And most players don't don't last in the NFL. The average NFL career, I believe, is only about three to five years in that window. So, I understand that for those players, it's good for them getting the extra paycheck. But for these big-name guys, I mean, I don't know if a lot of these guys are going to even play all 17 games. Could we start to see possible like a load management situation like we see in the NBA? I don't think it'll be as much, like sitting out two three games. But some of these players, let's say they're playing division rival or somebody they know is just not good, and they can just sit players. Like, let's say they're playing the Bengals without Joe Burrow and you're Tom Brady. I mean, Tom Brady would have to play probably, but if you're the rest of the the Buccaneers, a few guys could sit, and you could still come out on top in that game. So it's something the NFL is going to have to watch, and I want to see how they handle it. I was just a couple of years ago um, when, the, when Peyton Manning and the Colts were undefeated. They had two games to go. They already locked up the one seed. They couldn't do any better. But they were sitting at 14-0. and They sat Peyton Manning at, at halftime of week 16, I believe. And they ended up losing the last two games, finishing 14-2. But they were undefeated at 14-0. and And everyone wanted to see them go undefeated, and they sat those players. And the NFL wasn't too happy about that because th- them and the Saints were both on a collision course for each other in that Super Bowl. So I want to see how the NFL handles situation of players possibly sitting now because of the 17 game schedule and now looking at from the owner's perspective I think this is pretty obvious one they're gonna enjoy this a lot wouldn't you say yeah more games more money more fans more money that's what it is owners are getting more money and that's that's you know good for them they they were really struggling only buying one mega yacht this year. We we have to feel sorry for them. <laughs> yeah, um, they're just going to make even more money off of this. And I still just don't understand the revenue system of the NFL. Well, the only sports where you're not making a 50-50 or maybe even more the player. So um, it doesn't make much sense to me. They This was something they wanted. They were pushing for 17 games. So I'm, I'm not a huge fan of it, but I'm also going to I'm gonna watch the 17th game. So... Um, it is what it is. But now looking at 17-game schedule for the first time, will this add excitement to the season? Do you think it's going to change much? I don't think it's going to change a whole lot. The way I understand how they're adding the uh, scheduling, the 17th opponent, 
kind of um, is it's in the other uh, conference or league. So there's not all that much rivalry there and there isn't that much history. So I don't think it's going to be all that much of a big deal. It's just going to be another game. Like the Bears this year playing the Raiders. We we don't have all that much history other than the Khalil Mack trade. So it, I don't think it's going to add too much excitement. Yeah, it's just another out-of-conference game is all it's going to be. Um, obviously, if you have some ties with the other conference, maybe it'll get interesting. Maybe at some point we'll see a Patrick Mahomes, Tom Brady uh, additional 17th game. But I, I'm not sure who Tampa Bay or Kansas City have. That was just tossing that out there. At some point they could eventually get that. I think it's going to be exciting for some teams. Um, we, If Jeff Fisher is still in the league, he couldn't go 7-9 and nine anymore. So that's a pretty impressive feat for him. The Dallas Cowboys can't go 8-8 eight and eight anymore. I mean, there's just like there's so many things when you look at it that way. I think it's going to be a little bit exciting. But it does bring up one question. And I saw this, and I instantly thought, this is a really good question to ask. Now with 17 games, should a new record book be set in place? Because all these guys played in less than 16 games or 16 games to set these records. Now they're getting an additional game um, per season. And also, you're getting a, if you play a 10-year career, you're getting 10 extra games at this point. Do you think that all the records that have been set so far should be set and set away and a whole new record book should be opened up with the new 17-game schedule? I don't think it needs to be a whole like new record book, but I think you can put them in the same like conversation but still understand, all right, these were in 17 games and these were in 16. Like, it... I think they can coexist. You can still see, all right, this was the yards per game in the 16-game schedule versus 17-game schedule. I think they can kind of coexist, and you can extrapolate between which whichever uh, season you want to. So I don't think there's the need for a whole new record book, but it might be a little hard to contextualize the difference. Yeah, it, it was a really interesting question. And personally for me, um, I feel as if those records that have already stood should be placed aside. And I'm not saying like every record's like, okay, now we have a, this next year, whoever has the most receiving yards is the new receiving yards single season leader of all time. I'm not sure. I'm not saying that. But what I'm saying is when you see, kind of like you said, when you see, see those records, there should be one side for your 16-game guys and your other side for your 17-game guys. And when you look at this, a guy like Tom Brady, this is a huge opportunity for him. This is three extra games for him. And if you look at Tom Brady, normally, let's say he's normally about a 400-yard passing guy per game. You get three extra games. Let's say he plays three more years. You get three extra games now. That's over 1,000 yards you're adding into your records now. It's interesting. And we've seen it a little bit because Jerry Rice had a lockout shortened season and he set the single season touchdown record in just 12 games. He had 22 touchdown catches in 12 games. Randy Moss comes along and breaks it and has 23 and he gets it with two minutes left and 
the Week 17 game with the Patriots. So, um, obviously that one, can't really control that because it was a lockout-shortened year. But I would like, if something like that happens now with this new schedule, I would like to see a distinction, a clear distinction there that, okay, this was done with just 16 games while this was done with just 17. And if it's close, I think that's when it really brings in the argument, okay, this guy, obviously, people are going to argue about it. It's sports. They're going to argue about which one was better, which one was not. But it does make a good argument when you've done it in 16. But if they just blow the record away, then there's really not much to say for it. So I think that's the biggest distinction you have to make is was it enough to that they could have done it in just 16 games? And it's going to be interesting to see how fans handle that and how the media handle that. I think it adds a whole new topic. Every time you turn on ESPN, I think you hear the LeBron versus Jordan debate. I think this is something that is going to be like that. They're going to say, okay, was this better or was this better? Why they did it in 16 games? They did it in 17. So our next thing we're going to get to tonight is a big draft trade that went down last Friday. We'll start with the first trade that went down of the day. The San Francisco 49ers traded their 21, 22, and 23 first-round picks and a 2022 third-round pick for the third overall pick from the Miami Dolphins, moving them back to 12th overall. They then traded their first-round pick, the 12th overall they just got from San Francisco, and a 2022 first-round pick. They now had two because they got an additional one from San Francisco to Philadelphia to move up the 6th overall, and the Eagles move back to 12th overall. We'll start with the 49ers in this one, moving up to number 3 overall. Why did San Francisco make this move? Plain and simple, they want a quarterback. And I think 3 is kind of the perfect spot because you don't have to make all that big of a decision. I actually would have would have liked them getting uh, that fourth pick because there isn't too much of a decision to make. But trading with Miami was... uh, Miami definitely wanted to deal that pick. But it's... I really like this move. They're going for it this season with whatever quarterback they draft. Yeah, they made this move um, in one because of Jimmy Garoppolo's long-term health. That's been an issue. If he plays all 16 games this year and the season ends the way it, it wouldn't end the way it did, but ends the way it does, they still miss the playoffs. He's still the quarterback next season in 2021, and no one's questioning it. But another injured season, that's the second time in three years that he's not going to finish the year for us. It's something that they had to address. They had to go quarterback, especially when you look at the cap space. Cap space dropped this year. They did a good job of getting their guys back and moving around within the cap. They still have the fourth most cap space with his $25 million contract on the books. But this is for the future. They have to pay Nick Bosa, Fred Warner in the future. Those are cornerstone guys you can't lose. And they want to, I think they want to go rookie QB, free up that money. And I think that. They think long-term development, Kyle Shanahan can get his guy for the next 10 to 15 years here. Here's your opportunity. I think, obviously, Lawrence will go one, but then the games begin after that. And I think Kyle Shanahan was happy with the guys that he could possibly get. And I'm sure Jimmy Garoppolo is not too happy about it, but um, it's a move San Francisco felt like they had to make. 
And I think I think it was a good move to get up there and go get a guy for them. Now, I think I think they made it abundantly clear quarterback is going to be that pick, the number three overall. Which quarterback do you think they will select? Not that you would select, but the one that you think they will take. I think they're going to take Justin Fields. You know, Trevor Lawrence is going one. I think Wilson is probably going two. The the Jets might surprise us and go somewhere, go in a different direction. But it seems to me that Justin Fields is probably the best option. He works well with Kyle Shanahan's offense, and he gives them some mobility that Jimmy just doesn't have. Being able to move around in the pocket is very important, and Jimmy just doesn't do that. Uh, so I think Justin Fields is probably the quarterback answer. Yeah, for me, I also I think they select Justin Fields, and there's been an interesting phenomenon going on with um, Justin Fields. He went to a quarterback camp called the Quarterback Collective that is hosted and ran by the Shanahan family, Mike and Kyle, and most of the 49ers coaching staff and other those West Coast uh, Kyle Shanahan systems, McVay, LaFleur, all those guys. They all run this camp together, and Kyle Shanahan and his presser said that he's not worked with them since seventh grade, since Justin was in seventh grade, but pictures say otherwise. They were working together in 2017, um, actually. So he has experience with Kyle, and Justin Fields talked about that at his pro day. He, he raved about Kyle Shanahan being able to play for him. I think the 49ers, I think they take Justin Fields as well. Kyle Shanahan loves players that he has a connection to, he knows already. And everyone made a big deal, oh, they're at Mac Jones' Pro Day. And Kyle's at Mac Jones' Pro Day, but not at Justin Fields. Well, he later confirmed that he's already been in contact with Fields' agent. They're going to have a second Pro Day where he's going to be at that one. And their head scout and quarterback coach, who their head scout is the guy who, he, Adam Peters, he makes their picks. He's pretty much the GM just without the title and doesn't have to do all the talking. He goes where their pick is going to be, and he was in Ohio State. So for me, that's what makes me think they're going Justin Fields third overall. And now, which quarterback would you select if you were the 49ers? So we talked about which one that we think they'll take. Which one do you th- would you select if you were John Lynch and the 49ers on the clock at number three overall? Uh, I, I, it depends on who you have still available it's really what do the Jets who do the Jets take is uh, Wilson still there um, I think Justin Fields is the good ch- a good choice is it's not Mac Jones that's for sure <laughs> and I don't think it's Trey Lance either he's just is not quite there for me I think he is gonna drop a, another four or five picks I could see that happening, but I think Justin Fields is probably your best choice. Yeah, for me, Zach Wilson has been my favorite quarterback outside. Trevor Lawrence to Jacksonville, I so whenever I say my favorite, he's the clear number one guy, but I've just stopped talking about him because he is going to Jacksonville. Zach Wilson's been my favorite quarterback throughout this whole entire process. He's the most fun prospect in my mind. He makes so many just off-platform throws 
And he reminds me a lot, he, I'm not saying he's going to be Aaron Rodgers, but he reminds me a lot of Aaron Rodgers' style. He's a gunslinger. He's nine times out of ten not going to throw it with his feet set in the pocket. He's going to be moving around, or he's going to throw off his back foot, and it's going to be a perfect pass. That's kind of what Zach Wilson brings you, and it's so much fun to watch. So for me, that's my favorite prospect. If he somehow falls past the Jets, I think the 49ers have to jump all over it. And if anyone knows who the Jets are picking, it's going to be Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch. That That is San Francisco East with Robert Sala and his coaching staff he's developed there. So they know who's going to overall, and they know who they want. But I, I'm with you. Justin Fields makes a lot of sense. I talked about Fields. And Trey Lance is an intriguing guy for me because he has all the tools in the world. He kind of has that Russell Wilson moon ball where when he throws that deep ball, it just drops right in a bucket. And it's impressive to watch. I think he he has a chance to be the best quarterback from this draft class. He just has to end up in the right situation. Would San Francisco be the right situation? I think so, because Kyle Shanahan can make any offense really quarterback-friendly. But I don't know if that's what they want to go there. It brings up the question, if you go Trey Lance... I think you have to do the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes, or the Alex Smith, Colin Kaepernick thing where you let them come along slowly. Now it brings up, does Jimmy Garoppolo start week one in San Francisco? And if not, where do you think he ends up come week one? I think he's not going to start week one because in in my view, if I was the 49ers, I don't want to make the mistake that the Cardinals did with Josh Rosen. As soon as you take that next quarterback, as soon as you take that Kyler Murray or whatever quarterback the Niners take, your current quarterback's value tanks. You want to trade him before... Ideally, you would have wanted to trade him before you made this trade, but I understand why you didn't. You got some meant that you have this pick. So... You, you probably want to trade Jimmy between now and the draft because his value is the highest it's going to be until the season starts, and it can go anywhere from there. Yeah, and I think with Jimmy Garoppolo, most teams, if you see this, you're like, okay, they're in a bad spot. I think the 49ers have actually leveraged it pretty well. Because the fact that they've been, okay, we're fine with the Alex Smith, Patrick Mahomes type deal. So teams that are interested in him, and I, I personally for me, the New England thing will never go away. I mean, Cam Newton's deal, I know they signed him to it. None of it guaranteed. Base salary of $3 million, It's a backup contract. And he's going to play on it and have incentives. But if he doesn't play, he doesn't hit those incentives. And I just can't stop thinking about Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch, with Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels all talking in Tuscaloosa yesterday at Mac Jones's Pro Day. They're all sitting there, and then all of a sudden today a report comes out that the Patriots still have a consistent interest in Jimmy Garoppolo. So for me, I think at some point he's going to end up in New England. The 49ers, they know who they want. If it's Justin Fields, I think they're comfortable putting him out there week one and letting him play. We've seen the 49ers win games especially against a Rams team who went on to the divisional round and took the Packers the distance with Nick Mullins and Jimmy Garoppolo. And both times it was a series of RPOs, jet sweeps, 
nothing major out of this offense. Not, no deep shots, anything like that. Nothing too hard to read. So I think that's why they feel so comfortable with a rookie quarterback coming in. Um, so for me, I, I don't believe Jimmy Garoppolo will start in week one for the 49ers. I think he'll end up somewhere else. And San Francisco right now has a price for him. And they're going to try to get a team to come up to it. If they don't, I think they'll eventually move off of that and move him as it gets closer to the draft. Because right now, they're not in a rush. They don't have to move him right now because they've leveraged it so well. And the last thing we'll get into here before we take our first break is with the rookie quarterback. And we've both kind of said Justin Fields is our guy. We would take it three. Are they a better team with a rookie quarterback than with Jimmy Garoppolo? That's a tough question, but I'm going to say no. Not right off the bat, because right now you already have like that team chemistry built up. You've been teammates for a while. You know what what your teammates are about, and you have that cohesion of the system that you're going back to. A rookie quarterback has to come in and find his way in the locker room and learn the system. So I think just day one start, Jimmy G is better. But over the entire season, it might be Justin Fields. Yeah, for me, um, I personally think they... I think they'll be a better team because I think Justin Fields will unlock a different part of the offense. Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't like to throw the ball downfield, and there's nothing against that. He's done a very good job. He took a team to a Super Bowl just throwing the ball about 20 yards max, a couple deep shots every now and then, a couple that stick out in New Orleans, made a couple big plays there. But with Justin Fields, I think he can do everything the 49ers quarterbacks were doing and also... I think when you look at it, Jimmy Garoppolo has missed a lot of games the last three years. And that's my biggest question mark for him for this team is, are they better with the rookie QB? Well, is Jimmy Garoppolo actually going to be on the field? Week one he will be, but will he be on the field three, four weeks? We don't know. That's been the biggest issue with him. Two of the last three years, one was a Super Bowl appearance, and the other two, I mean, tears ACL week three, kind of just toss the season in. It's tank for Bosa because that's where we're heading. And then when you look at it uh, this past year, Jimmy G gets hurt week two, drops some games you shouldn't. Now the playoff picture is really tight. He comes back, you win a couple games, he gets hurt again, drop games you shouldn't, and now you're out of the playoff picture, have to throw the season in again. I just think if they can get a durable quarterback in there, and a guy like Justin Fields who that Clemson game – I, I wasn't the biggest Justin Fields guy until I saw that Clemson game. He took that shot to the ribs, came right back in, fired, I believe, four more touchdown passes after he did get hurt. It was a phenomenal performance, and it was enough for me that, to know that's a leader and that's a guy that people can buy in with. So I do think that they can get better uh, with the rookie QB. And like you said, it may not be like week one or two, but overall stretch of the season, get that quarterback playing time, as well as just letting him play in general, be the guy, I think it's going to help your team long-term, and I think the end result will be better. We're going to take our first break here on Sportsmanlike Conduct. When we come back, we will address the other two components of this trade, the Dolphins moving from 12 to 6, and then the Eagles moving from 6 to 12. Don't go anywhere. 
Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howell. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to get back into this big trade that we saw last Friday within the NFL. Now we're going to look at the Dolphins side of it here. If you're the Miami Dolphins, why would you move back? Um, I think it's a good decision because obviously you gained a lot of picks and you're going to build this team up. But why would it? Why would you move back if you were the Dolphins? It it looks like the top three guys are going to be quarterbacks, and with the teams that you move behind, the Falcons and the Bengals, those guys aren't going to draft anyone you necessarily need. They might take a lineman or a wide receiver, but this draft is so deep at those positions that if you wanted a lineman or a wide receiver, you can take one of those and you'll still be perfectly happy with that at six. So moving up to allow the Niners to get that quarterback and not really losing out on a guy that they'll want is just a smart move. And the mass amount of picks they're going to have the next couple years is is really going to help this team. Yeah, and they really played it the right way. They got an extra first-round pick for realistically an extra third-round pick, and I don't know the whole details on the Eagles-Dolphins trade, to move back just a couple, of, just three spots. That's pretty good trade for you. Um, when you look at when the Niners and Bears did business in 2017, they moved back a spot. They didn't get anywhere near a first rounder. Uh, they got a second, but it was mostly threes and fours that they got from that trade. So to get a first round pick out of it and be able to use one of those picks to move back up, I thought it was a pretty impressive move. And why move back? Like you said, the quarterbacks, it's going to be a run on QBs. They're one, two, and three now. You know that for sure. You know why San Francisco is coming up. Up four, that leaves you with Atlanta. They're a question mark. But personally, for me, I kind of, I kind of think Kyle Pitts to Atlanta makes a lot of sense. Give him another weapon and a guy that you have now just a dude who can line up anywhere, and it's going to help Matt Ryan out. And as you decide to move into the future off of Julio Jones and Matt Ryan, you still have Calvin Ridley and Kyle Pitts in the same offense, which should be unfair. So I like that a lot. And then we go to five, and you have the Bengals. Jamar Chase had a phenomenal pro day today and the Bengals were in attendance, they're going tackle or Jamar Chase, in my opinion, give Burrow Chase again or get him some more protection. Personally, for me, I'd go tackle. I'd go Sewell. But let's say that's not where you go. They take Chase. Now you're sitting at sixth overall. You still have Devontae Smith on the board. You still have Panay Sewell on the board, Rashawn Slater on the board. You have every guy, realistically, that you were going to take at three still on the board at six and an extra first-round pick. I think that is a huge trade for them. I think it was a massive win for this organization. The Dolphins are going in the right direction. You can tell what they're building there. Brian Flores has really set the foundation, and they're only getting better. And this is the type of move that good organizations make. They let a team come up and get their quarterback, and now they used one of those picks they received to get right back up there and get the guy they wanted. I think it's a phenomenal move. And now when you look at that, this pick, sixth overall, I went through some of the options um, that I think would still be on the board at that point based off of who I had going four and five. Who do you think they select with this pick? I think it's either 
a offensive tackle, Penny Sewell, uh, Rashawn Slater. Um, depending on where the Bengals go and, you know, where obviously it's who's still on the board, but I think if Kyle Pitts is on the board still, that's just such a dynamic option for you at a position that you don't have all that much talent and it's going to really open up your offense if they don't go wide receiver or if Kyle Pitts isn't on the board you gotta go tackle to help Tua uh, be able to just succeed and give him time in the pocket yeah for me the Pitts one that's a big pick for them I like that pick a lot because Kyle Pitts is going to open up a lot especially for a young quarterback because he plays tight end but also you can put him in the slot on the outside. So you can use him a lot within motioning. And that's going to, for the quarterback, set it up easy for them. It's going to allow them to read the defense. Okay, is he following Pitts out there? Okay, we're in man-to-man. And you can see the alignment, how they line up on these guys. That's going to help him to develop a lot. So I like the Kyle Pitts pick there. And I'm with you. It has to be a weapon or it's got to be a tackle. One of those two. In my opinion, it cannot be anything else. And for me, Panay Sewell makes a lot of sense there. I mean, you get your franchise left tackle. I know they do. They trade away Laramie Tunsil to the Texans, got a ton of picks, and he got paid, and now they could bring in Sewell to replace him. But they also addressed the tackle position in the last draft, so they do have some guys that they may feel comfortable with there. And if that's the case, then you can go with the weapon. Devontae Smith back with Tua, that would be a big one. Also, Jalen Waddle. Both those guys have history with Tua. So I think you get either of those guys. You're going to get good chemistry right off the bat. Devontae Smith's interesting, though. He did come out and say when they asked him, would you rather play with Tua or Mac Jones? He didn't even hesitate and said Mac Jones. He didn't. The question wasn't even being finished being asked yet. So for me, that's something I would want to look at if I'm the Dolphins. But obviously, he's probably just sticking up for his quarterback. That was more of his guy. Smith did have a good uh, season last year, but let's see what that's all about. So for me, weapon or tackle, I, I'd lean more weapon, I think. I think Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle in this offense would just be phenomenal. Add him next to Devontae Parker, Preston Williams. I think that would be a good move for them, and you get to kind of see where you're at with your tackles. You have a lot of first-round picks if you decide you need a tackle later, so you can address that. And there's some good tackle depth in this draft. I think they can get someone down there. And now we're looking at the Dolphins in general. Can they compete for the division this season? Obviously, the Patriots got a lot better. The Bills are phenomenal. Just missed the playoffs last year, but Ryan Fitzmagic played a lot of the games last year. Can the Dolphins compete for the division if they nail this pick at sixth overall? I think so. I think they're going to be competing in this division. It's it's not solely on this pick, but there is a decent bit riding on it. There's also uh, your 18th overall and some more uh, as you get into the later parts of the draft. But you have to... Your defense is already good. You know what you have there. You need to give Tua every chance you can to be better and to excel. And I think that's what they're planning on doing. They might add some depth to the defense, which is a good idea, but 
you just have to give Tua every opportunity to succeed. Yeah, this one is difficult for me. Um, I want to see Tua succeed. I don't like how they did it last year with the, okay, you're starting to struggle, we're going to put in Ryan Fitzpatrick. I didn't like that. It doesn't help you build up your rookie QB. When you decide to bench Ryan Fitzpatrick, you should have wrote it out with Tua because then we see week 17 in Buffalo, they have to win to get in, and he's struggling because he would have been pulled two quarters ago. But I believe uh, Fitzpatrick, I believe he's either on the COVID list. I think that's where he was, so he wasn't even able to play in the game. So he didn't have him to come in and help him out. The Patriots got a lot better this offseason. Um, we talked about could Jimmy G end up there. He still might end up there. Then you look, Cam Newton is there. So let's talk about Cam Newton in that offense. He has a lot of weapons now. They went out, I mean, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, good signings. Were they a little bit of overpay? Kendrick Bourne, eh, I think he's kind of around the money. A little bit more than he should have got, but a lot of incentives within his deal. Nelson Aguilar was a lot of money, but if that's what they were able to get him in there for, I get it because they needed weapons desperately. They weren't going to get a Kenny Galladay in the building. They weren't going to with that offense. They're getting a lot of their defenders back from the ones that opted out, and they also made some really great signings. They're going to be a tough team, and they're not even the best team in the division. The Buffalo Bills, they t- they went almost the distance with the Chiefs. They kept them close for a little bit, but then they, the Chiefs started to run away with it. They're a very good team. They have a lot to play for. They're a hungry team. And do the Dolphins have the defense to, to try to stop the Bills? Yes, absolutely they do. But do the Dolphins have the offense to keep up in a shootout with the Bills? That's my question right now. I do, I'm not sold on that quite yet. So for me, no. And the Jets, uh, yeah, the Jets are going to be bad for a couple more years. Uh, I think they're in the right direction. I think they have the right culture built up right now. There's have to start nailing some picks here, figure out what you're going to do with Darnold. Zach Wilson could be a very intriguing guy for the Jets moving forward. So for me, if they nail this pick, I think they get into that New England Buffalo Bills conversation. I still don't think they come out on top of that conversation when it's all said and done. And now the third component of this trade, the Philadelphia Eagles moved from 6 to 12 when the Dolphins traded back in to the top 10. If you're the Eagles, dropping from 6 to 12, was this too far of a drop back? I, this move just confuses me all around. Just where the Eagles are, they're suffering with the cap and they don't really have a good team anyway. So you're struggling because you have to pay all these guys and the players you're paying aren't all that good anyway. So I think moving you get back to 12, I don't know exactly who they're like generally in a draft you can see all right, these are like a guy's going to go like 9 to 17 or whatever. So you know kind of the range and you want to move inside that range. I don't know who they're going for at 12. So that's what confuses me. And they didn't, they moved back six picks and they didn't get all that much in return. Yeah, they really didn't. For me, um, I think it's a little bit too far of a drop back. If I'm them, I'm staying at six. And 
there's question marks about Jalen Hurts and is he the guy moving forward. That's something we'll get into in just a bit. But now quarterback's out of the question there. So you're not going QB at 12 because, I mean, not even Mac Jones may be there at that point. So quarterback's off the board. You're not going to get an elite weapon. Waddle, Waddle may be there, but Smith, Pitts, Chase, I think they'll all be gone by that point. And, okay, so now you're not going to get an offensive weapon for Jalen Hurts in an offense that direly needs weapons. So you're not going to get that. Could you go lineman? Maybe. Maybe Rashawn Slater still there. You could use a tackle. Jason Peters up there in age. Then also I believe their other uh, tackle that they have, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. So they could, yeah, Lane Johnson, he has been dealing with a lot of injuries. Rashawn Slater makes sense there. And 12th overall, I don't think that's all too crazy for him. I think if Sewell would have went in the top three, like top five, when some, like some have thought, Slater would have gone in the top ten. But because he didn't, he falls a little bit. That makes sense. So for me, I think they could go tackle, but it's just too far of a drop back. It really is. I And when you look at the trade, the Eagles moved back six spots and gained, I believe it was just one first round, additional first-round pick, and then it might have been some change there. But mid-round picks with that change, nothing massive. While the Dolphins were able to recoup a third-round pick and two more first-round picks for moving back nine spots. I just think you could have got a little bit more out of that. Whether it be a second or two seconds here, you could have got more and it takes you out of contention for a lot of those bigger-name guys. So now you're going to be getting a... As you move farther back in the draft, you're going to be getting more guys that they need to be in the right system to succeed. Now you're betting on your coaching staff, and if I'm the Eagles, that's the last thing I would be doing. So now looking at this move back to 12, who do you think they take with that pick? Obviously, it depends on you know who's on the board, but I think they're with how it shakes out, I think they're going to go tackle with Rashawn Slater. Uh, if there is one of those bigger weapons still on the board, that's definitely who you need to take. But I don't have one of those guys still there. So Rashawn Slater is probably the pick if if he's there. If not, I really don't know where you go. Yeah, for me, I, I like the Slater pick. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, personally, once you're back to 12, you're into kind of, I might be the first team to take an edge rusher territory. So whether it be Quiddy Pay, Alojuari, um, Rasu, um, Jalen Phillips, there's, you could argue, some guys there. Cornerback, do you take J.C. Horn, Patrick Surtan? I mean, you could. Uh, it just... I'm just not too sure what the Eagles were making with that move. They might have someone in mind, like an edge rusher, like a corner, that they feel comfortable with. If that's the case, then we'll see. But as of right now, not knowing, uh, not a huge fan of it. I think Slater has to be the pick there. Slater or Hope Suratan or Horn falls to you. And now, last topic here with the Eagles. There was rumors that they wanted to move up to number three overall with the Miami Dolphins, but only if Zach Wilson was going to fall to number three overall. That's them looking at quarterback, and they've not been all that 
okay, Jalen Hurts, this is your team. They've not really told him that quite yet. They did ship off Carson Wentz, but new coach, new system. We've seen this story a lot of times. The old quarterbacks there get moved off of, new one brought into the building. Do you think quarterback is on the table for the Eagles at pick 12? Yes. Uh, I don't think it should necessarily be. That's not exactly what I'm trying to say. Um, I think they made a mistake with Jalen Hurts, and they drafted him too soon, or they just drafted him at all when they weren't going to really utilize him as well as they should. So now he's kind of stuck on their team, and they don't know where to put him. And they're just kind of stuck with him, and he's stuck with that team. And they're just like, I, I don't know. We'll... And they haven't really committed to him or committed against them. And it's very much in, they're very much in no man's land. And that is the worst place to be as a player and as a team. And I think the Eagles are just going to have a rough time for the next five years, if not longer. Yeah, at six, I thought quarterback was realistically on the table. Maybe Trey Lance, um, if Justin Fields had maybe fell. Um, Mac Jones, maybe even if that's the guy you want there. Now at 12, realistically, we'll go the top three picks are QBs. So however you want to dice it, that leaves you with two of the top five left. And in my opinion, only five are deserving of a first-round pick. It leaves in, in our scenario, it leaves you with Lance and Mac Jones. Lance, Carolina's going QB. They're going to take a quarterback. They've been desperate to get one. With everything going on with Deshaun Watson, they're not going to make a move for him right now. I think that's not resolved by the draft. They're going to draft one. Lance, I think, is a very realistic option there. Mac Jones as well. Maybe they want the guy who they think can start um, day one. And that is one thing that, uh, off topic, but one thing that is uh, something that has been interesting to me, Mac Jones has played in, started in one less or one more game for Alabama than Trey Lance did at North Dakota State. But Trey Lance is an extremely raw prospect, needs a whole year on the bench. While Mac Jones, on the other hand, is a guy that is ready to start week one. I think it's an interesting debate. Um, but anyway, when I look at this, they could go, Carolina's going QB. Then you have a little bit of space. So if one falls to you, but you have teams like the Bears, like the Washington football team, sitting in the back end there that could jump up ahead of you and take a quarterback. Denver, I think, is a team that's going to be willing to deal. Um, so, for me, I don't even know if quarterbacks on the table. We could see five go in the top ten. I think five go in the top twelve, and we see a team trade up and hop the Eagles. So, for me, it could be on the table, but I'm just not too sure. I'm not sold that they're going to be able to be in the market for a guy. I think they want to be, but I'm just not sold they're going to be able to be in the right position to get one with their trade back. So now with free agency, the frenzy's over. We're into kind of the third and fourth wave of free agency. Only veterans remain out on the market. Big name veterans, but older guys and guys with injury histories sit out in the market still. We're going to go through and start to grade 
uh, how we feel all the NFL teams did. Tonight we will do the AFC. Next week we'll do the NFC. And first team we have here is the Cleveland Browns. We're going to start with the AFC North. What's your grade for the Cleveland Browns? I'm giving them a B plus. I think I'm going to be a little kind of harsh today. Uh, <laughs> they they had a good, one of the better free agencies. Uh, they bring in John Johnson. They kind of shore up some of the depth. Uh, Malik Jackson, Anthony Walker, Rashard Higgins. You you add some depth and you add, uh, like I said, John Johnson, who's going to really help your secondary because your secondary was really bad last year. So addressing that is very helpful. But I think it's just this year of free agency, there wasn't too many big huge splashes that were all that notable. Yeah, for me, I also gave them a B plus. Addressing the secondary was huge. They went out and did it. I think they got the best safety out there on the market. Um, there were some bigger name guys, but they also had injury histories with them. So bringing in John Johnson, a consistent guy, and a guy who was a very good leader and was a big part of that Rams defense when they had the best pass defense in the NFL last year, big pickup. Rashard Higgins coming back, I think, is one of the more underrated signings that they had because he was a guy that when Odell went down, really developed into a wide receiver two, and in some games, that wide receiver won for Baker Mayfield. Getting a guy back like that is huge for your, the confidence of your quarterback. You're going to have Odell back. You're going to have Jarvis Landry. But now with Rashard Higgins, his emergence, you can now put Jarvis Landry back into the slot which is more of his natural position. We've seen his best football from the slot. So in my opinion, getting him back there, getting Higgins on the outside with Odell, Odell Beckham, I think that's your best chance of being successful. And they did make a couple signings, uh, Tack McKinley on the edge. He's a guy that's dealt with a lot of injuries, bounced around now. If they could get some production out of him, maybe five and a half, six sacks, great signing for them. And also they brought in Malik Jackson, um, I like that pickup for them. Um, really helped shore up the interior of that defensive line. So for me, I'm giving them a B plus. And now we're going to take our second break here on Sports Mike Conduct. When we come back, we're going to go through the rest of the AFC North and also get into the AFC West. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 in the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. And we're going to continue our NFL free agency grades. We started in the AFC North, and we're still in the AFC North. Our next team up is the Baltimore Ravens. What's their grade? I'm giving them a C. They, they were linked to a couple wide receivers that would have been really helpful. They only end up signing uh, Sammy Watkins as their biggest receiving threat. They bring in Kevin Zietler, which is definitely helpful at the uh, the line, but there isn't, I think just across the league, there isn't too many people to get excited about, but it was a relatively, they didn't make any mistakes. They brought back some defensive pieces they added to the line, and they added at the position they needed the most, which was wide receiver. I would have liked to see them add some depth or just more 
players. There are still guys out there that they could pick up, but I I want a little bit more at wide receiver th- for the Ravens. Yeah, I agree with you. Wide receiver has to be within their first two picks of the draft this year. It absolutely has to be. And for me, I wasn't as positive with them. I gave him a D plus to a D to a D plus. For me, Sammy Watkins, um, he was a big free agent in 2015, 2016, a real big free agent. Um, but since then, he's bounced around between the Rams and the Chiefs, and he's just not been the same guy. I, I know he's had some couple nice performances for the Chiefs, a couple nice ones for the Rams, but he's just so inconsistent. And for me, your goal is to help Lamar Jackson. And Lamar Jackson gets this bad rap as a guy who can't throw the football because he's playing with Marquise Hollywood Brown, which is a whole different discussion that they took him as the first receiver off the board with DK Metcalf, Debo Samuel, AJ Brown, all all those guys still on the board. But he was the first receiver taken by them. And I mean, don't really have much outside of him. You have good tight ends, but receiver-wise, you really don't have much outside of him. Receiver was your number one need in free agency. There was guys out there bringing a Kenny Galladay. Sammy Watkins is nice, don't get me wrong, but I would have liked to see a Kenny Galladay and a Sammy Watkins. That was your big need coming into free agency was wide receiver, and you address it with a career-long, well, last few years, a wide receiver three, in my opinion. So I'm not a huge fan of it. The one that stings the most for me is they lost both their edge rushers. Ngakwe to the Raiders, Judon uh, went to the Patriots, and they didn't address it. They kind of just stayed the same. They brought in their brought back their interior, but haven't addressed the edge. That was another need of theirs. They needed to find a way to rush the passer better. They struggled with it last year, and now you lose both your edge rushers and don't even address it. So now you need receiver still. You still need edge. And the Zeitler signing is good. I, I like it a lot. Bring in a guy who's going to help fortify that offensive line and keep Lamar Jackson protected. And also, you like to power run the football? He's your guy. Right guy to bring in there. But for me, just the two positions you absolutely had to have, had to address, you lost two pieces, and you brought in a wide receiver three to be your guy. So for me, I just wasn't a huge fan of that. Next up, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers. What grade did you give them? I'm giving them a D. Uh, they over, Overall, not much happened. They brought back Juju on a cheap deal, which I was a fan of for the team, not Juju so much. The biggest thing for me was they brought back Ben Roethlisberger, which is an instant F from me. <laughs> If they hadn't re-signed Juju, it would have just been a straight-up F. Uh, I don't know what you saw last season, but it was pretty apparent that Ben Roethlisberger does not have nearly enough left in the tank to be uh, any type of starter at quarterback. I, I'm not. I'm not sure what they were thinking, and that just sullies any other moves they made. Yeah, for me, I gave him a C minus. Uh, the Juju signing, you didn't need him. I mean, he's your wide receiver three last year. You really didn't need to bring him back. Um, lost a couple guys. I would have liked to spend that money on Mike Hilton. Find a way to keep him from going to a division rival in Cincinnati, who we'll get to next. Keep him around. Juju would have went to the Chiefs or the Ravens. So yeah, you don't want him to go there, but. 
I don't think the Steelers are competing with those guys this season. They're not. I mean, yeah, they started 11-0 last year, but you clearly saw the flaws in Big Ben, and so did other teams. They started to understand how to get to Big Ben and make that Steelers offense start to fail. So for me, I'm, I'm giving them a C-. I wasn't a huge fan of it. They brought back some of their guys, but not the guys I would have brought back. I would have brought more of the bigger role players than just Juju. So our last team in the AFC North is the Cincinnati Bengals. Lost Joe Burrow early in the season, needed to make some moves, and they did make a few decent signings. What grade did you give them? I'm giving them a C minus. Uh, it it just felt subpar. They they bring in Trey Hendrickson, which I like a lot, though he does he's not. I don't think he's going to be a top five or a top ten guy in sacks, but they're still adding to their defense. Uh, I would have liked to see a bigger splash or just even going after Trent Williams to help their line. Uh, They add Mike Hilton, which is very helpful for their defense, which was not great last year. Riley Reef, if I'm probably saying that wrong, is um, a good addition to the line, but it's not... It's not enough to protect Joe Burrow because he's still going to get hit all the time if you go with your starting line like it is right now. Yeah, and I think that's where Panay Sewell at five really comes into play. If you put Sewell with these free agent signings, then I think it's a little bit better. For me, I gave him just a B. Um, Hendrickson I liked a lot. You had to replace Carl Lawson. You found a way to do it. Um the production's been there more from Hendrickson than Lawson, but would I've rather have them kept the homegrown guy? Probably. But Hendrickson's a nice pickup. Reef is a guy that he was a consolation prize to Trent Williams. I know it's not not all that great of a consolation prize. There's a big uh, drop off there, but he was kind of the one that everyone wanted as that consolation prize. Um, another guy out there is Villanueva. He's still out in the free agent market. He could be a tackle they could look to bring in. Corner-wise, bringing in Chidobe, Awuzier, and Mike Hilton. There's your slot corner, and there's a possible starting corner. He started in Dallas. Um, I, you don't know if you really want Dallas uh, members from their secondary to start on your team, but maybe they can turn things around with him. And then they also brought in Ricardo Allen. I like that pick a lot at safety for them. I think he was a sneaky signing. It's a veteran and a guy who played a lot of good football in Atlanta an underrated piece of Atlanta's defense. So I like that pickup, and that gives them a B from me. And now we're going to go into the AFC West. Up first is the Kansas City Chiefs. What did you give them as a grade? I'm going to give them a C plus. They they didn't make any great moves that I was you know, really excited about. They were linked to Trent Williams, didn't. Didn't get him. They got Joe Thune, which was a nice a nice pickup, but it felt a little like they were overpaying, given how the cap has been this year. You were linked to some higher-end wide receivers, and you uh, miss on those. Kyle Long is is an interesting choice. Being a Bears fan and seeing him go somewhere else after... He's taken some time off is is weird, but 
I don't think he's going to succeed all that well. Even though, like, I love him as a person, I just don't think he's going to play the best football after taking a couple years off and coming into a new team. So it it's okay. Adding to the line is helpful, but not nothing too big. Yeah, I gave him a B minus. So we're about the same area there. Um, for me, you there was addition by subtraction in a way because you lost Eric Fisher, who he's been an average tackle, uh, hasn't really lived up to that number one overall pick hype that he had, but he was an average tackle. And Mitchell Schwartz was a big loss for me at right tackle. He was a key piece of that Chiefs Super Bowl team, so losing him was big. You bring in Austin Blythe and then also Joe Tooney. So now you have two guys on the interior. You brought up Kyle Long as well. If you bring in Trent Williams with this, these signings you have so far, it's a different ball game. You have completely redid your offensive line, and it is a top unit in the league based off the moves that they've made. But you didn't get Trent Williams, so now you're kind of sitting there. Tackle has to be addressed in the draft. I know that was a position they wanted to get cheaper at, but in my opinion, when you look at and I and I think this is pretty common knowledge too, when you look at football, your guys that are the most important should be your left tackle, an edge rusher, and your quarterback. Those are your top three key positions. That's why they get paid the most money in the NFL, those three positions there. So for me, I mean, I'm trying to keep my tackles around because that is an important piece, especially after watching a Super Bowl where your quarterback was running around for his life and still had a very good game. So for me, I would I would have went in a different direction there. But I gave him a B- minus because I'd like to see what they do in the draft, and they still have a lot of key pieces around to help them be a good team. So improving the line was key um, in getting them a B- minus from me. Next up, we have the Las Vegas Raiders. What grade are you giving them? I'm giving them a D. They had they had a weird year. They they kind of blew up their offensive line. They trade Trent Brown. They release and then re-sign Richie Incognito, who I am not a big fan of. the The biggest pro to me was uh, signing John Brown. He's going to give you a really good deep threat that you thought you were going to get with Henry Ruggs that you it didn't really pan out at least this year. So it there are some additions that have been good, but again, it's the Raiders just doing business in the weirdest possible way. Yeah, for me, I also uh, I gave a C- minus on this one. And the Kenyon Drake signing was an interesting one, to say the least. You have Josh Jacobs in place, who has been the workhorse for you guys. And he's been the guy that's getting all the carries, all the receptions. I know they uh, sprinkle in a couple different DeAndre Washington, Jalen Rashard, a couple different backs like that. But Josh Jacobs is the consensus number one back there. Now you bring in Kenyon Drake, a guy who's also been a number one back in Miami and Arizona. So for me, it brings up the question, how are you going to keep both of them happy? I mean, Josh Jacobs is a guy that I think if you keep him as an every down back can be a 1,500-yard runner and a 500-plus yard receiver um, if you use him the right way, which I'm not so, not so sure John Gruden can. Um, so the Drake signing was interesting for me. 
Um, when I look at their offensive line, though, you they had four of their five starters released or traded. And like you said, they bring back Incognito. But still, you lost three pieces along your offensive line, one of which is the tackle position. And then you lose your center and your guard. And then just to go out and sign another center. For me, I just don't like that move. Rodney Hudson is a good center. Why trade him to Arizona for practically nothing? I just don't understand that move. And then the one big sign for me was Ngakwe. Getting him in the building, I think that was a good one. Um, that's really what saved their free agency for me was Ngakwe. And then John Smokey Brown. Um, he's, he's a guy that I think is going to help this team out. He replaces Nelson Aguilar. He's the speed guy. That's what he's going to come in and do. Um, is he going to be all that productive? Mm, maybe. I think he's going to be more of a 600, 700-yard receiving guy um, within this offense, and that may be even on a good year. Next up, we had the Los Angeles Chargers. Did they do enough to help out Justin Herbert? What grade did you give them? I'm giving them a B. They, again, kind of what we've seen a lot of this this conversation or this episode, at least um, adding to the line, they bring in Corey Lindsay, which is one of the better players at center, just allowing four pressures in 13 games for Green Bay. So that's a big addition because their line was very bad. They add Matt Feeler, who was at least average at guard for the Steelers. So that's definitely helpful. You re-sign Mike Dav- Michael Davis at cornerback. So there's some improvement there. I think the draft is going to be a, a big part of how they move forward as a team. Yeah, for me, um, I, gave, um, I gave him a C plus, um, B minus, kind of in that range. Uh, Lindsley was a big signing. He's the best center in the league last year, so I like that a lot. Jared Cook, uh, getting a nice weapon as you lose Hunter Henry. But the Michael Davis one's really what did it for me. He was a very, very underrated corner for them last year. He stepped up in a big way. And for those who don't know who Michael Davis is, he's the one that picked off Tom Brady and ran it back for a touchdown. He made a lot of phenomenal plays for this defense. And he had a lot of teams interested in him. There was at least four or five teams rumored to be interested in him, trying to get him to come to their squad, and they find a way to retain him. Now, if they can go out in the draft and get a tackle, let's say a Slater falls to them, they may be, they may be the biggest loser of this Eagles trade, honestly, because now they now might find themselves outside of the opportunity to get Rashawn Slater, depending on how the board falls. But if one of those tackles falls to them or they move back a little bit and take Darasau, I think this this offseason was pretty good for them. I think they have all the offensive weapons they need. They needed to add to the offensive line. Draft, Corey Lindsley does that. And the defense just has to be better. They have the pieces. They just have to stay healthy. They have to perform better. You lost Melvin Ingram, which could be huge, but you still have Joey Bosa. You have Derwin James, who has to stay on the field. They have the guys. They just have to get it done. Chris Harris Jr., Casey Hayward, they got the pieces. And our last team in the AFC West is the Denver Broncos. And what was your grade for them? I'm giving them a 
I, this one's a little higher up there for me, a B plus. They they were kind of sneaky and under the radar. Uh, they franchise tag Justin Simmons and then get him to a long term deal, and he's gonna be really good at safety for them. Resign Shelby Harris and the big one for me, just snatching up Kyle Fuller right away, and he. Kyle Fuller has been okay in the past couple seasons, but when he was really the best of his career was with Vic Fangio, and he's, I have a feeling he's going to really step up this year coming back into that defensive system. So I have high hopes for the Broncos' defense. Yeah, and also bringing in Raul Darby, also at corner, nice addition for them to get Fuller and Darby. And the Fuller addition is actually interesting to me because it was so quick. It was, okay, he's officially cut, and boom, he's Denver Bronco. And everyone kind of figured he was going to go back to Denver, but that quickly is what shocked me. And also, he's not on a prove-it deal. It is a one-year deal, but one-year, $9 million, I wouldn't necessarily call that a prove-it deal for a corner who I would say is, a, I'd say, middle of the pack, probably 20, 15 to 20 within the corner rankings. I would say it's a pretty good deal for him. So that addition was huge. Getting Kareem Jackson back on such a cheap deal as well. The secondaries continues to get better. And Justin Simmons making the highest paid safety in NFL history. You found a way to keep him happy. I think it's huge. For me, I gave him a B-. minus. Um, I think this team is going to be one of the more under-the-radar teams. But the ninth pick overall is going to be huge for them. What do they do there? Can Drew Locke continue to succeed? Do you still believe in Drew Locke? Do you have to go quarterback at nine? Or do you go get a nice piece at nine and worry about quarterback later? That's stuff that has to be answered. But I think they're in a good position to answer those questions. We're going to take our last break here on Sportsman Like Conduct. When we come back, we're going to get into some MLB talk, go over some Cy Young and MVP predictions as well as the Cubs and Anthony Rizzo in a contract dispute. Now we'll get into some NBA. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back into Unsportsmanlike Conduct on KALA HD2 and the 106.1 FM dial. I'm Logan Howe. With me is David Meyer. We just got through half of our AFC uh, free agency grades. We'll get to the other two divisions in the AFC next week, and we'll continue with the NFC as the weeks go on as we get closer to the NFL draft. Now we're going to get into the MLB here a little bit. Last week we did our predictions on division winners and who who would fall in what place within the divisions. Now we're going to do our NL and AL Cy Young and MVP predictions. We'll start with the NL. David, who do you think wins the NL Cy Young this year? I'm going with Jacob deGrom. The only reason he didn't was because the short sample size and Trevor Bauer playing a little better, like a little higher than where I believe his true talent lies. Jacob deGrom absolutely carried that Mets team to their only only to as high as they went because there was so much of a mess around him. I think he's going to get a lot more run support this year, and just have a better bullpen around him and better rotation around him, they're going to be uh, just the Mets are going to be fun to watch. And Jacob deGrom is going to be 
very good. Yeah, for me, one of mine is obviously the rotation around him. It's going to make him a better piece here. It was a guy that was up for it last year and is now in a new place. I'm going to go with a little bit of an upset pick here. I'm going to go with you, Darvish. You was great last season, and he was one of those guys that was up for the NL Cy Young. Now he makes the move to the Padres. I think he's now going to have a real opportunity just to really just set in to the rotation here. I believe he's their starter day one uh, for the Padres. But for me, last season showed me so much, and it started with how comfortable he was with the team, how comfortable he was becoming again, coming off the injury. He was starting to turn into the U Darvish that we remember, the U Darvish that was so good. So for me, I think within this rotation and with the bullpen help he has, I think he can really become comfortable with this team and turn what was a great year last year into an elite year this year for such a good team. And he's going to get a lot of immediate attention. I mean, he's on the Padres. The Padres are arguably one of the best teams in the MLB. Top three for sure. He's going to have a lot of attention around him. Day one starter for him. That's my upset pick. I think he can come out there and win that Cy Young for the NL. Something he was trying to get last year. Now we're going to go to the NL MVP. David, who do you have as yours? This one is kind of tough because I, to me, the MVP is just the baseline of star players and whichever one just overperforms that year is the MVP. That being said, I think Mookie Betts in his first full season with the Dodgers is going to just be fantastic. He's a fun guy to watch on an absolutely stacked team, depending on where he is in the batting order. Basically, if he's not hitting leadoff, he's going to get a lot of RBIs. He's going to hit for 20 home runs, if not more, and be great defensively. He's definitely, at least in the conversation, and I think if he kind of takes up his performance just a little overperforms his base value, he's going to be the MVP. Yeah, for me, I, I love the points you made about players that overperform when they need to, and that's kind of how you get that. I'm going to go with the guy on the uh, trying to get a new deal from his team. I'm going with Francisco Lindor of the Mets. He's a guy playing for the new contract. That's normally the type of players that you see overperform and really turn it on is the players that are trying to play for that money. He's turned down some big contracts from the Mets, so he really has to go out here and prove that, hey, I'm worth more than you're offering me. That's why I'm turning these offers down. And also, it's just an upgrade in his market, in my opinion. With the Mets, he's going to get attention. I mean, he's in New York. People are going to notice him. If he does something good, it's going to be all over ESPN. When he was with the Indians, it wasn't like that as much. Um, he could hit three home runs in a night, and he'd get talked about one time. But you do that in New York, and you will be the talk on ESPN for a while. So for me, Francisco Lindor has a real chance now to go out and get NL MVP. He's got the reason to go out there and play well. He's got the media attention on him. I think this could be finally the year that he really gets a chance to be seen um, and gets that award. Now we go to the AL. Our AL Cy Young 
David, who do you think? I think mine is my pick is a little bit of a dark horse candidate, uh, just based off last year because Shane Bieber was so dominant. Won the triple crown for pitching, not just in the American League, but the majors as a whole. But for me, I think it's going to be Lucas Giolito. There is a little bit of hometown bias there, but they add the White Sox added a lot of rotation help. They had Dallas Keuchel. They bring in Lance Lynn. You're getting back Michael Kopech and... So there's not as much day-to-day pressure in every one of your starts. And they added to the bullpen. So there's not as much pressure for, all right, I have to make, I have to do well this inning because our bullpen can't, can't play right now or I don't trust the bullpen. You're going to have guys behind you who you can trust. And I think that's going to turn its way into a Cy Young performance. Yeah, and for me, my guy is a little bit of a dark horse too, but he's been here. He's done it before. I'm going with Justin Verlander. And Verlander's a guy that he's very consistent. He's very consistent. He's been good throughout his whole entire career, and now he really has a chance to be great once again, get back to his Cy Young self. I think this is a good opportunity for him. Obviously, there was a the target was on the back last year, still going to be this year. But with Verlander, I think he has a chance to really perform well because normally when you see Justin Verlander, when the pressure's on, he normally responds pretty well to it. I mean, there's been times he hasn't, but he's normally a guy you can trust in the bigger moments. So for me, I'm going to put my money down on him. And now we're going to do our AL MVP. Who do you think that will be? Mike Trout. <laughs> it's it's Mike Trout. He's... I'm, this is a little bold, but also not really. Uh, but I'm going to say he's not just the best player right now. He's probably the best player ever to play the game. Just with overall his talents, he might not be the best pure hitter, the best pure defender, but you take the above average level of everything and you have Mike Trout and just above average it is is kind of an understatement he is just so good at everything that the only reason he's not mvp every year is some in well last year inconsistency with the small sample size of 60 games not a great team around him and voter fatigue that's the only reason I also have Mike Trout. Seems like a pretty common answer. Um, yeah, I keep it pretty quick on this one. He's been top four since 2012, which is his rookie year, in MVP voting uh, for the AL. Why not do it again? Odds are in his favor. Like you said, fantastic player, best in the league. So he's always going to be a safe bet for the AL MVP. And now with the season starting tomorrow, opening day, what is one bold prediction that you have for this upcoming season? Oof, that's tough. I have I have the Twins winning a playoff game. They're going to add the W back to the 10. That is my bold prediction. I think they're going to kind of ride Kenta Maeda as their ace, and he's just going to have a good year, and they're going to sneak into the playoffs 
and win at least one game. I'm not saying they're going to the World Series or even winning a playoff series. I just, they're going to win one game. And one game is all that matters right now. That You got to get over that hurdle first before you can try to go for a series. My bold prediction is that the Padres take it all this season. They not only beat the Dodgers and represent the NL, but they win everything this year. They went all in, and they go home World Series champions when this season's all said and done. They're a fantastic team. They have all the talent in the world. And they have a lot of swagger, a lot of confidence. And that's a team that's hard not to root for. So for me, I think that they will represent the NL and win the World Series. And a kind of side one, I think the Angels and Mike Trout get into the playoffs. I think that they get in. Mike Trout has an opportunity to get into that postseason October baseball. And we finally get to see an op- a chance to see what he can do there. And now, last topic we have here with the MLB, the Chicago Cubs found themselves trending on Twitter. Maybe not for all the right reasons yesterday, but they were. Chicago Cubs and Anthony Rizzo are in the midst of a contract dispute. Um, there's been reports that Rizzo's side has said that they, they're not, you know my number, we're not going to uh, talk about it anymore until you come up to my number. Then obviously Hoyer has said some different things. He said that they're 100% sure they will get this deal done. They're confident. When I look at this situation, it doesn't look all that positive, but it doesn't mean there's not a lot of time left to get this done. When you look at the Cubs right now in their current situation, Anthony Rizzo, where he's at in his career, should the Chicago Cubs extend Anthony Rizzo? Yes. My gut reaction is yes. Because there are really two avenues the Cubs can choose. You either go full rebuild, trade everyone away, and start it up again with new draft picks, young guys, get prospects. Or you can go all in the next couple years and give your players now big contracts. And I think... That second option of going all in now is the better option. The only reason that's not happening is because ownership doesn't want to spend money, which I have a whole rant about, but I'm not I'm I'm gonna keep that to myself this time. Just the disrespect for your franchise leader, your captain, the face of the franchise, my personal favorite player. The reported offer was uh, $70 million over five seasons. That's an AAV of $14 million, which is just for your, your star player, kind of a slap in the face. I, if I'm Anthony Rizzo, I'd rather you not offer me anything than offer me that. That's on the same level as Brandon Crawford or Mike Moustakis. Good players, but Anthony Rizzo is worth more than $14 million a year. I definitely above 20 at least. It's just the Cubs being stupid and trying to save money where they're just not going to. Yeah, I, I'm a fan of the Cubs extending him. I think they should do it. And when I look at the situation... 
you brought up a good point. Do you rebuild? Do you go for it? You have all these guys together right now. I, I just, I'm not a huge fan of going into a season knowing this is a rebuild. I, I'm all, I'm a fan of retooling your roster, and there are times where you just have to blow it up and get put different uh, faces out there. But this isn't the time for the Cubs. I know they've had some unsuccessful years, uh, the last couple of years, not as successful as they would like, I should say. So, for me. Extend Anthony Rizzo, one, because he's taken pretty cheap contract this whole entire time he's been with the Cubs. He's very team-friendly deal. Give him the extension that he wants now. I mean, he's done everything you could ask for from a Chicago Cub. He's embodied what it's been. What, when you think of the Chicago Cubs right now, currently, Anthony Rizzo's the first one that comes to mind. He's embodied the Chicago Cubs. He is the prototypical Cub you could say. So for me, I absolutely extend him. And there's a lot of reasons to it. But for me, it starts without Anthony Rizzo. This signals, hey, we are rebuilding. And what's that going to say to a guy like Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant? Are they going to want to buy in on that? I, I don't think so. So for me, I'd absolutely extend him. Now, we talked about should they extend him. Here's the real question. Do you think the Cubs will get this deal done and extend Anthony Rizzo before he leaves? I I want to say yes. I want to say yes so badly because he's just my favorite player. But I I don't think so. And like it borders on physical pain to say that cuz I I just cannot picture Anthony Rizzo in anything other than a Cubs jersey, it's just you're the offer you give him is less than he's currently making, and you you would be paying Craig Kimbrell more money than you would be paying Anthony Rizzo. It's it's not even just the play on the field; it's the leadership and the name recognition that you get from Rizzo. Overall, you get so much from him, and he's such a member of the community in Chicago. It's it's unthinkable, unthinkable that you'd let him walk, but I can absolutely see Cubs management doing that. Yeah, I, I also am leaning that direction right now. I'm not sold they will get it done. Um, I know, obviously, contract offers, you always are going to not lowball, but you're going to send in a lower offer first and Rizzo or a counter. But that type of offer, like you said, is legitimately a slap in the face. And Anthony Rizzo, I believe, has taken it that way um, with the way he's responded to it. He says, this is my number. If you're not willing to come up to it, then it is what it is. And for me, that type of offer, instead of normally leading to negotiations, that type of offer is a non-starter. It's okay. I don't even want to talk with you it reminds me a lot if you ever played Madden and you send a really bad offer to somebody and they go and the player says I'm done talking with you and you can no longer offer them a contract whatsoever like that's the type of deal we're borderlining right now that he just got offered and I don't think Rizzo is going to be that way about it he obviously would like to stay a Cub so it's from his end he wants it to happen the Cubs, I'm sure in some capacity, want it to happen too, but they just don't want to spend the money to do it. 
And that's one thing that I think they need to do. If you want to be a successful team, you have to spend money. I just don't understand how MLB teams these days can look at all these stacked teams across the league that are just have so much money spent but are so successful year in, year out, and say, yeah, we don't have to spend money to be successful. It's just not the way the league works. It's not the way the game is anymore. So for me, will they get it done? Uh, I'm not sold. I'm really not right now. Things could change, but where we're sitting right now, I'm, I'm going to lean more towards no. And now, let's say they do get the deal done, and they bring Anthony Rizzo back. Is this something that you think will cost them possibly Javi Baez, Wilson Contreras, Chris Bryant? It could. It shouldn't. But it could. It's just another example of owners crying poor that, that just frustrates me to no end. Yeah, there is the like money ball idea of paying for players that are cheap and getting the max value out of them. But realistically, like Billy Bean hasn't won a World Series. The only reason Theo Epstein won with Moneyball in Boston was he had a huge payroll. He had a lot of money to go out and get on-base style guys and do Moneyball there, even though that's not really what it was. In this league, you need money, and that's what the Cubs need to do. So they should re-sign Javi, re-sign Wilson Contreras, and re-sign Chris Bryant. But if the season isn't going well for the Cubs near the trade deadline, I think these guys are probably being traded. And that that just feels wrong. Yeah, and that's one thing, too, where... Anthony Rizzo and the Cubs, that may be why the Cubs are holding out on a deal. Because if this season if this season, excuse me, goes south and there isn't success with it, we could see them, like you said, start to trade some of these guys off, recoup some picks, recoup some players, uh, get some money back for these guys, and try to rebuild this thing. I'm not a huge fan of ever going into a full-on rebuild. I normally you'd like to keep a piece or two around to help charge that rebuild or a familiar face the front office has from a different location bring him in let him be the guy that keeps the fans happy gives them something to smile about um when you look at uh other sports and some of the rebuilds that they've had you look at one team like the 49ers trying to get the super bowl they had they brought in richard sherman it was okay that's a guy we can root for we can be happy about trade for jimmy garoppolo it's names like that that help keep the fans excited. So for me, I think that's what the Cubs, that same direction they would need to go if they go that direction. Bring, but to answer, circle back to the question, signing Anthony Rizzo will not cost them any of those players. They won't lose Baez, Contreras, or Bryant because they bring back Rizzo. They may lose those three because the front office no longer wants to spend the money to keep all four of them after paying Rizzo. That's realistic. But because they gave Rizzo that contract, that will not be the reason that those three uh, leave if that's the direction they go with them. Now we're going to move in to NBA here. Some big moves happened uh, around the NBA trade deadline, one of which the Brooklyn Nets find a way to add another, I, I, I say star, 
former star, I guess the best way to put it. Um, LaMarcus Aldridge from the San Antonio Spurs. He was phenomenal with Portland. With the Spurs, wasn't the same guy. I believe he averages about 13 points a game. When you look at this Nets team, added Blake Griffin, added LaMarcus Aldridge, and now you have Kevin Durant, Kyrie, James Harden, uh, Joe Harris, Jeff Green. list goes on. DeAndre Jordan. Are they officially the best team in the league? No. Uh, I think the best team is just the Nets don't have the depth or the defense to to say best team. Adding LaMarcus Aldridge is nice. He's going to help you stretch the floor. He's going to be able to hit shots. But defensively, he's he's just not there. I don't think you're going to get the same kind of hustle or really like those non-tangible plays that like we saw Dennis Rodman do a lot the diving out of bounds, really hustle plays, you're not going to get that out of LaMarcus Aldridge. And he's not going to be great defensively. So adding him as another scoring option for cheap, it's great for the Nets. But it's not something that's going to take them from a number three seed to a number one seed. Yeah, for me, I think the Nets, as the season's going to go along, we've not seen a healthy team, the Nets team out there yet. We've not seen everybody play together. We've barely even seen Durant, Harden, and Kyrie together. If they can find a way, that's going to be their biggest question mark, is getting all those guys on the court at the same time. If they can find a way to get their big three healthy with this chorus of guys, I'm willing to say they are the best team player-wise. I'm not saying they're going to win it all, but player-wise, I will say that they are. Um, just because I was I, Blake Griffin, when they signed him, it was, okay, Blake Griffin's kind of washed up, not the same guy. And then I watched him go out there and dunk the basketball for the first time in like three years. And I'm like, where did that come from? So for me, I'm expecting LaMarcus Aldridge to come here and all of a sudden be himself in Portland where he's scoring a bunch of points. Um He's going to be a good bench guy for him. He really will be. Um, not many people can say they have Blake Griffin and LaMarcus Aldridge coming off the bench. And I know they're not the same guys, but it's these same type of players like this that can come out on a certain night when the other team, when your team's struggling and they kind of have their vintage performance. How many times do we see a guy like, guys like Dwayne Wade do that? The Heat were a bad team, but some nights Dwayne Wade would come out there and drop 30 points. Kobe Bryant in his last game going out with 60 points. It's just vintage performances. It's not going to be consistent whatsoever. You're probably going to get a bunch of less than 10-point scoring games from these guys, including a Marcus Aldridge. But there's going to be a game this season, maybe even the postseason, where Aldridge scores 20, 25 points off the bench, and he's a big reason they, they come out on top in that game. And so they're not getting the same player, but they are getting a pretty decent player in my opinion. And now, looking at the Lakers, now, they also made a key addition. They add Andre Drummond, the big from the Detroit Pistons, who then went to Cleveland and then was bought out. Is this a good pickup for the Lakers? Yeah, it's a it's a helpful pickup, especially with AD and LeBron out. He gives you someone you can kind of go to as those guys uh, come back from injury. 
it's going to be interesting after you get back LeBron and Anthony Davis how Andre Drummond is going to coexist on that team because we have seen him with Cleveland have some kind of personality issues as soon as he's not getting the touches he wants or not having as much attention as he wants. He kind of doesn't play as hard, doesn't try as hard. So he's going to be good right now when the team is kind of quote-unquote his. But when AD comes back and when LeBron comes back, if he can buy in and play good defense and get offensive rebounds, the rebounding is going to be insane on this team. Anthony Davis and Andre Drummond are going to pull down a lot of boards. It's just, can Andre Drummond play defense on those top-tier guys, like Jokic, for example, because he's in the West? So can he play that level of defense? Can he switch uh, well enough on screens? And is he going to buy in to what the Lakers need him to do? Yeah, I, I like the Drummond pickup a lot. I really do. Because when you look at Howard and McGee last year, they were kind of the average center who's going to bring down all these boards for you. And they did a good job of it. Now you're bringing in a guy who was once elite and it's kind of bounced around a little bit, but still a very good center. He's still averaging, I believe it was close to 20 points on this season. And his rebound numbers are still up there. So for me, I like it a lot. When it comes to, you brought up guarding Jokic, that's a real question mark. Um, if I'm Frank Vogel, I'm finding a way to get Anthony Davis on him because I just don't trust Andre Drummond to be able to handle that. But overall, I think it really helps strengthen this Lakers roster, and Drummond might just be able to keep the Lakers afloat. They're not too far off without LeBron and Anthony Davis from winning some of these games, but it's just enough where it's going to drop them down the playoff picture. But Drummond... Mo Harrell and Schroeder might be able to keep the Lakers afloat for just a little bit. Is it going to be long enough? I don't know. But I think they can keep them afloat to get them into the playoffs. And that was another reason why they wanted to add Andre Drummond. Was LeBron James and Anthony Davis are both hurt. You need someone who's averaging almost 20 points, if not, and can average more than 20 points. You have to go find that guy. They bring in Drummond. And he was kind of in Detroit for the longest time. He was the guy. So he's, he's known what that's like. I think it's a big pickup for them. Uh, it helps them compete within the West. And when you look at that starting lineup with Drummond in it, it pretty nice. Pretty nice lineup. I'd say it's probably the best Lakers lineup I've seen since LeBron James has come to the Lakers. So I like it a lot. And this move coincides with the LaMarcus Aldridge move. It was just a little bit after Aldridge signed there. The Lakers went very aggressively to try to get the buyout with Andre Drummond. Now, do you think that that move was to compete with the Nets, try to keep up with the guys they keep on adding to their team? I think partially it was, but partially it's just adding a solid player to your team in a really kind of flux position because you don't have your two stars. So adding someone who can come in and work with the roster you have and get you to win some games you wouldn't without those stars So and try and really contend and make the playoffs in a decent seed, which is the big problem for the Lakers right now. So 
I think that was the main reason. Is it also a little competition with the Nets? I think so. I think there's just the KD, Kyrie versus LeBron kind of storyline. I think it plays into that. That's not the sole reason, but, you know, we can have our narratives. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think it is to compete with the Nets. Um, I don't think it's. I don't think they're all that fearful. The Nets, but they realized they needed something a little bit more. What they had wasn't going to be enough, so they went and added a very good center. That's enough. That's enough for you to be able to compete with the Nets. And Kevin Durant, he's really assembled like a 2015, 2014 All Star team there with the Nets. So adding Drummond to the Lakers, I think, is a is the biggest addition that either side has made with the Griffin, Aldridge, Drummond. Drummond by far is the best player added out of those guys. So I think it's just to put them over the top. And I thought Jeannie Buss said it best when she was asked about keeping up with the Nets. She she alluded to that we're still the best team in the league. We're, we're the uh, champions, and they can bring it on. I think that's just a great reaction. And... It makes a lot of sense. I mean, this Lakers team still has a lot of stars. They shouldn't be all that worried. Last thing we get to tonight is Aaron Gordon gets traded to the Nuggets. Not somewhere I thought he would end up. Good landing spot for him? I think it's a pretty solid spot. He, for the first time, really has guys around him that are going to help him be better and really bring him up. You're going to get a lot of, you know, pick-and-roll action with him and Jamal Murray. You could get some pick-and-roll with him and Michael Porter. And then you've got all types of handoff plays, weird double-screen sets with Jokic. I think he adds a good element to their offense. And it's, it's going to be a fun time to see how he integrates into their offense. Yeah, I think it's a good spot for him as well. Um, him, Jokic, and Murray make a pretty good trio, but then they also have Jordan Clarkson with that. I think they have a nice setup there with the Nuggets. But overall, could he have gone somewhere better? Sure, he could have been more of a uh, more of the guy, I uh, quote unquote. But for me, go win a championship. I think that's just a key move for him. And also the fact they changed his number to 50 because the twi- the two times that he did not get uh, the 50 on the dunk contest, he was given a 48 or 49, I think is just the perfect amount of pettiness, and I love it. That concludes this episode of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. If you're on social media, give us a like at KLA underscore UC on Facebook. Also on Instagram and Twitter, give us a follow and interact with our social media posts at KLA underscore UC. Like I said, that concludes tonight's show. Good night. See ya.